This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore, and I'm back. That's right. Reports of my death were greatly exaggerated. Uh, thank you guys for being patient. Uh, I know listening to Ken every week is is a, is a, is a high order. So uh, <laughs> Nice. But nice. Uh, but yeah, guys, I, uh, I, I've been through some stuff <laughs> over the past few weeks. Uh, you might have been uh, aware of uh, Hurricane Harvey, which uh, blew through Houston, unfortunately. Uh, gosh, just uh, just over a month ago now, a month and a half. Um, so not only was I caught up in that, I actually wasn't caught up in that. I was actually on a cruise at the time with my business and most of my business um, uh, co-workers and employees and, and my business partner and all that. We all went on a big cruise together to kind of like a camaraderie reward kind of thing. And it turned into quite a quite a different experience than we had anticipated. Uh, we were actually trapped out of town uh, for Harvey. But I'll, I'll tell you this, guys. Carnival Cruise Lines takes good care of you because we could not come back to Houston, um, you know, for, for Harvey because it actually hit the, it hit the weekend that our cruise was supposed to end. So we could not come back, and then they closed the ports for another week. So we got an extra week for free on a Carnival Cruise ship. So just like, and it was just like the first week. It was you know the food, the entertainment, the everything. So like all expenses paid. You know they didn't charge us extra. I mean it would have been a pretty bad PR move if they did. But uh, so that was you know that was nice, and we enjoyed it because we knew when we came back things would be pretty bad. And and uh, you know unfortunately they were. I mean I lost my my vehicle, uh, my business partner's house got pretty much flooded out. Um, our business offices got flooded out. Uh, we lost a lot of our business. I do a lot of multimedia work. I don't know if you guys may or not may or may not be aware. You know, camera, video. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty bad. Uh, and then and, and through all that, I was going through a move. And uh, fortunately, the place that I had been living at did not have any water damage, although it was closer to the water, ironically. Uh, but the place I was moving to, which is more closer to downtown, did experience some water damage, but none of the stuff. Uh, I had not moved in yet, so nothing was actually ruined. So, so, so all that to say, I know that's a, a mouthful there. I just kind of give you guys the, the the flyover of what I've been going through uh, the last few weeks. Um, 
nothing truly irreplaceable was lost. So I'm very fortunate to that, very blessed in that in that respect because that that's the stuff that really stings, you know. If like sentimental things and things that truly can't be replaced, because uh, I mean, you look around Houston, right? We're we're recovering now. I mean, things are not 100 back to normal. I mean, you drive around town, you see piles of trash everywhere still in some neighborhoods because houses had to be gutted, and it's uh, quite a surreal experience. I and mean, you see stuff on the news about all these hurricanes in like Florida or Louisiana and they usually get hit harder than Texas but we you know every now and then we, we get a bad storm and and Harvey was was definitely that not so much the wind more so than, than the than the rain and it just just it just stuck parked here and just rain and rain and rain and rain and uh historic flooding so that's what I'm dealing with but uh slowly but surely I'm putting the pieces back together getting back to normal and, and I'm happy to be back here with uh with Ken talking some Star Trek well, we missed you. I missed you. It was a um, interesting time uh, for you, and I, I do appreciate what you had to go through. I don't, I don't think a lot of people can really understand a lot of things unless they live through it. You know that uh, haven't walked a mile in your shoes type thing. But I will say that it is impressive how fast Houston got back on its feet. I mean, it's one thing to have a hurricane blow through. Usually, they go through and they're in and they're out. I mean, and you look at Puerto Rico. It wasn't there long, and the damage that it created from wind speed, you know, 160, 180 miles an hour, it's crazy. It's, 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 it's unfathomable. And um, I have a lot of friends and businesses down there that are trying to get back up on their feet. And you look at Houston where, well, the wind did plenty of damage, but I don't think there's ever been a recorded hurricane that just stopped. And then, what was it, 60 inches, five feet of rain in a, in a couple of days? I mean, it doesn't matter what where you live, that is... Um, that that's that's incredible. I, I don't know how how communities can can survive or, I guess, withstand that kind of punishment. So I think the other the other thing that's really cool, though, I'll, I will say, is the amount of, um, I guess, uh, good neighbors and and people coming together. I think it does show, you know, as 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 crazy and politically divided as this country is right now, and. Uh, you know, maybe we should outlaw Facebook. I don't know. It's just an idea. Um, it's it's one of those things where uh, when it's when it's person to person, and and your goal is to to get back up on your feet and and to help each other out. Nobody's walking around asking who you voted for, uh, what 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 your opinion is on this. They just go right, and we're we're people, and and everybody's just out helping each other. So I think you know Houston and Texas has a reputation for being like that anyway, and. Uh, I think that uh, it's it's wonderful uh, to see all the all the people that that came together to help help you guys out, and hopefully, you know, the city, you know, maybe, maybe they might be uh, the World Series champs this year. They got a good football team. Um, you know, the, it's it's coming back. I know all of the uh, factory. I mean, it's it's amazing how many products are produced for the rest of the U.S. in Houston. It's incredible if it involves oil or resins or anything along those lines. Those factories were back up in incredible amount of speed. And um, I think it's a testimony to the character of the people down there. But on another note, I'm just glad to have you back, brother. I mean, this uh, this, this has been fun in, in, one ax- in one aspect where we've, we've had a few different guests on and I've kind of cycled through others and they've done an, a phenomenal job of helping me out. I've done a few solo shows to keep things going as best as I could. And those are interesting <laughs> in their own right. And, uh, and now it's like, hey, the team's back together again. Um, we know with Discovery out there, there's probably about half the amount of listeners <laughs> that we're used to because we have just flooded the network with so many shows. So for all of you that continue to listen through this, hey, welcome. For those of you who are listening months 
after because there's a break now with Discovery and you're catching up on some of your other podcasts. Welcome back. So we hope to uh, to continue what we always do here at Standard Orbit, which is to have a lot of fun, uh, talk about things that that are relevant, and um, you know keep keep driving and, and making it as enjoyable as we can for for all you listeners. So Zach is back now. Let's go, buddy. So this week I thought it'd be fun to talk about all the trials and courtroom drama in Star Trek. You know, it's become kind of a staple of Star Trek. Some some of the best episodes, like are just the the franchise in general, you know, the, the Menagerie or Measure of a Man or the Drumhead, or, you know, Rules of Engagement on Deep Space Nine. So the, the, these are these are great episodes uh, in, in the style of you know traditional courtroom drama just set in the Star Trek universe. And you know, I, I thought it'd be fun to uh, to talk about them, uh, thinking about kind of Law and Order, Starfleet. You know, that's kind of the approach I had in mind here. So yeah, to that point, Ken, do you have a favorite? kind of law and order kind of show, you know, not, not, not necessarily from that franchise, but just, you yeah. know, any kind of courtroom drama or anything like that. I do. I, I, I like really complex and creative and, you know, deep diving courtroom dramas like Night Court, for example. <laughs> all right. <laughs> In all seriousness, yes, I do. I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I kind of get drawn to them. I, I watched Law and Order back in the day when it was really popular, and then it, it kind of, you know, when it when it spread out, just kind of almost like Star Trek did to all different kinds of shows. I, I kind of lost uh, the feel, but I did enjoy Boston Legal. Um, I've been watching because I've got CBS All Access now, and I've been watching JAG, and I never watched it back in the day because I was like, oh, that's not how the Navy works. But they do come up with some pretty interesting um, plot lines uh, that that I just never knew, and I'll just land randomly. You know, I'm talking like one episode every couple of weeks. I'll just try to do something, and uh, maybe because I'm just I'm missing the Navy or something. I don't know. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I do I do enjoy the format, and I love the way Star Trek has handled it. You could do a Starfleet JAG show. I think it would be fascinating. It's funny you mentioned JAG because the I mean I remember that show uh, coming out years ago on CBS, and then I believe. Uh, NCIS, mm-hmm. both of them are like spinoffs of JAG. So it's they just, are, uh, you yeah. know, all, all, all these shared. You know, people talk about like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all this stuff. Like Star Trek had a universe, JAG had a universe, Law and Order had a universe. You know, I mean, there's all these. The shared universe concept is not new, but um, I, the the reason I knew what JAG was, like, what is this? It's because of Measure of a Man, because the the uh, the commander or the captain. Uh, Who's the judge there? She's like the judge advocate general of that sector. And that's that's how I knew what a Jag was. So oh yeah. Life through life through the lens of Star Trek, my friends. So um for me for me it would probably be it will it would have to be Law and Order Special Victims yeah. Unit. I, I had watched episodes here and there when I was younger, but um when uh me and my uh my best friend, my roommate, you, you met him, uh Lance, uh, he went to Star Trek Las Vegas oh, yeah. with me. Uh, <laughs> so we were roommates at the time, roommates in college and then after college, you know, on and off. And, uh, you know, we were in, uh, we, went, we went to Chicago for a friend's wedding and we just, you know, you're, you're in a city, you don't have, you know, you're relying on other people's transportation, you're just hanging out. And we decided, when I mean, there's like a Law & Order marathon on uh, TV, which we soon discovered there's always a Law & Order marathon on TV. <laughs> but we started, <laughs> sure. we started watching it and it was just when we become roommates again and we just like, hey, you know, this, this is a good show. So like we started just like DVRing it and watching it just all the time, like, uh, it, because it'd be on TBS, it'd be on NBC, it'd be on like uh, the local, um, what used to be the old UPN affiliate, just reruns, and it's just on all the time. We watched so much Law and Order SVU 
over the course of like two or three years and then it kind of burned out on it honestly because <laughs> it's only it's see, because when i look at these shows it's like man i feel a lot worse about my there's there's two ways you can look at it right it's like you can feel a lot worse about your life because you're like god the world is a horrible horrible place or you can feel a lot better about your life like man there's horrible horrible things going on in this world but at least they're not happening to me so i mean you can look at it those two ways <laughs> That's an but uh, you can you can only take so much of that honestly because like it, it really is overwhelming but but yeah if, if i had a if I had to pick, like what mine would be, it'd be, it'd be Law and Order SVU. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I said, I, I don't think I've watched much of SVU. I watched the original one, and I go way back. And it's amazing too, you know, how fast the time goes, Zach. And some of these shows just don't die. You know what I mean? They just, they just keep on going. It, it, you mentioned that that NCIS, and it was, it was a spinoff of Jag. You know, Jag has been off the air for I don't know, 15, 20 years. I don't know how long, but. That's how long NCIS has been running, and it's still the number one show. It's crazy to me, you know. Um, it's it's not the most realistic show, I can tell you from experience, but it is, um, and I haven't watched it consistently at all, but it is uh, it is interesting. And so I think courtroom dramas, I mean, how, how can you not love, um, you know, My Cousin Vinny? That was very dramatic. Uh, and then you've also got things, A Few Good Men, right? And, uh, and you know, I think that they're great settings, and they keep you guessing. To me, it's 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 unsolving a, a mystery, and uh, and and so I think that they do it very well in the Star Trek universe. I think those types of episodes are a lot of fun, depending on where they're going. And I think uh, you know our original show did a did a nice job with some of them. Yeah, I mean the first episode in Star Trek history that had anything like this was appropriately titled "Court Martial." Captain Kirk gets put on trial for uh, negligence in command by. Uh, uh, jettisoning the pod that uh, Ben Finney was in. I, now, this is one of my favorite things. I don't know what it is about this. But the jettison pod button on the captain's chair is one of my favorite little things in Star Trek that I make fun of. It just makes me laugh because it's like such a specific task, right, to be put on one of like the four buttons on the captain's chair. It just seems so out of place, right? And it's even, there's even a label for it. It says Jettison Pod. And that's the one thing, and like, at Star Trek Las Vegas, right? We had that captain's chair there. I always look for that when I see replica captain's chairs to see, okay, are these guys true fans or not? Is the Jettison Pod button here? And it was. It but was anyway. there? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was. But. Yeah. I, I, I like the buttons, too. Wash, rinse, spin, Jettison Pod, right? Or the... <laughs> 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 I like Court Martial a lot. I love Sam Cogley. I like the the Commodore. I, I like the whole the whole idea of. I think back then, you know, computers weren't anywhere the way they are now. But being able to manipulate data and you know, we we talk. You know, there, there's so many things that are being generated today that are hoaxes and frauds and and all kinds of things. So manipulating a a computer or editing something or photoshopping. I mean, those weren't things that happened in the 1960s, right? So you have this, um, this, 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 this guy who's out for revenge because, and you know, it's also a very believable story in that aspect. It gets to the, I guess the unreal, or it's tough to believe that he's, he's trying to destroy the ship. At any rate, it was a, um, I thought it, it was really well done. And, and I like the way they came up with the premise that the, um, the data was manipulated because Spock, you know, was, was able to beat the computer. It's, and it, it was just clever. It also brought back, I think, some foundational things that in the future, it, you know, 
and Nick Meyer kind of hit on this in future movies, was, you know, wouldn't there be books in the 23rd century? Wouldn't they, they still be important? And the right to face your accuser and, and all these things. It was, it was a great take on, you know, the, the modern entrapments that you could have in a society like that. And then being able to come back and, um, you know, and, and it becomes more of a, a revenge type of story, which, you know, it's kind of a common trope in, in certain aspects. But in this one, man, it's, it's so realistic. Um, careers in the military can be won or lost with one or two simple mistakes. There is not a lot of forgiveness in the service. So from my perspective, whether the, um, you know, I think we talked about this on another episode, whether Kirk's motive was the right or the wrong one, the fact that it could impact somebody's career, if you, if you do something that's careless like that, is very real. And if you're an ambitious person and you make that mistake and it costs you, Man, I, you know, it, it seems a little over the top of the degree this guy was willing to go, but it's definitely possible and plausible. Now, this is something, this is an angle I want to approach when we talk about these episodes. How how frequent are court martials in the military? I mean, that's a pretty serious, it has to be a pretty serious offense, right, to, for, to, to hold one, correct? It, it does, uh, but it, it also depends. The... Um, a lot of justice, depending on who it is and what rank they are, can be handled through litigation outside of a courtroom. You know, you can you can plea, you can you can do the same things. I mean, if you saw a few good men, right? That's what uh, Tom Cruise's character was famous for. Never really, you know, none of his cases ever get to court martial because that'll before they get there. But also, a captain of a ship has incredible amount of responsibility, and he can call different levels of discipline. Um, you can have a DRB, which is a discipline review board. So if I've got some, and I've, I've been on many, um, you know, some, some dopey sailor does a dopey thing, you know, you know, that, that, that's where my term schmedlap and umpty scratch used to come from, because it just was like, (laughs) what did this guy do now? They would sit before, um, a board of chief petty officers, senior chiefs, master chiefs, whatever. And, they would do an investigation and, and they would essentially interview this person as a board and then would recommend to the executive officer or the commanding officer what would be the, uh, the appropriate um, punishment. And usually they would agree. If it was something more serious, and I've had some pretty serious things occur, then the discipline review board is actually comes together and, and they, they would recommend what they would call an XOI, which was the executive officer screening. So if this was a serious issue, a serious incident, if there was true intent to do something illegal or somebody or something, then it would go to the executive officer screening and then eventually to what they call a captain's mast, where he has the, or she has the ability to put you in the brig, um, reduce your pay, recommend that you um, you be dishonorably discharged, all kinds of things. Now, you can fight that and then actually request a court-martial. So it all depends on the level and seriousness of the crime or the issue that you could be disciplined for. In this case, in court-martial, the episode where the captain himself is being accused, if you remember early in the episode, they're like, you know, you, you push the button, you screwed up, you here's the tape that shows it, you know, settle, don't go before a court-martial, it could end your career, all this other stuff. It would be like what Ben Fenny got, you know, a reprimand in his record and all that stuff, and he would never get promoted again, and he probably would lose his command. So the court-martial is the only way that he could exonerate himself, and he truly felt he was right. 
So sorry for the long dissertation there, but that's kind of how it works. <laughs> well, no, it's interesting because obviously Kirk loses a lot of crew members over the course of his five-year mission. And, you know, this is the only time that he's kind of you know, brought the charges on it. I mean, because you think about other episodes, like specifically like where no man has gone before, right? He, he kills Gary Mitchell, but there's no court martial there. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's some book or something that might talk about the investigation or something, but he's like, hey, this guy turned into a powerful, powerful godlike being. I had to kill him. It's like, oh, okay. Well, that's understandable. Like, it's just when you live in that Star Trek feature, I guess those things happen. And it's not quite a, quite a big deal. It's like, hey, man, you, you push the wrong button. Uh, it's interesting that you know a bigger deal is made out of that per se, and you know it's all for drama and whatnot. But I do, I do find that interesting. Um, you know, obviously being the captain of the ship, he is responsible for everything that happens under his command, so that makes sense. But when in this case, in this episode, he is you know physically the guy that pushed the button that ejected the pod, and there's video evidence of it. And like you said, that was kind of forward thinking with the you know oh let's roll back the the flight recorder visual and all that stuff on on the bridge and you know that's that's stuff that uh, that's everywhere nowadays so again star trek thinking forward so yeah, i i think so the you know whenever there's an incident today on a ship and somebody gets hurt killed or whatever they have what they call a jagman investigation and usually it's all behind the scenes you know they they let's say that you know kirk goes back to whatever starbase after delta vega for um where no man has gone before there would be behind the scenes, if this if it was reality, an investigation to understand. So they'd be going through the logs, they'd take witness testimony or whatever, and they would just close it. You would never you would never see it. A few crew members are are interviewed, and that's that, and it moves on. I also think too, with the idea of Star Trek is if you're out to space and, and deep space and you don't have access to star bases or all that other stuff, probably the captain has a little bit more power than um, they would otherwise. You know, they have to be able to dispense justice. The other thing with court martial, though, he had the damn button on his chair, right? So he actually physically pushed the button. <laughs> so it's right. it's him. It's not an order that he was given that was misinterpreted. It wasn't an order that he was giving to somebody else and the person going, no, Captain, you know, it's not safe yet or being able to talk back. It was him pushing the button. So he was accountable 100% in that one. <laughs> All right, moving on to our next episode of discussion, The Menagerie, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, in Core Marshall, we go to Starbase 11. We meet Commodore Stone, uh, the, the voiceover artist for the Jaws trailer, as you <laughs> informed me a few episodes ago. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Percy so we go back to Starbase 11 and The Menagerie. There's a different Commodore. It's Commodore Mendez, uh, played by Malachi Throne, uh, who voiced the Keeper in the cage and also went on to play Pardek on Star Trek the next generation so some uh he he goes across the uh the Star Trek timeline as well there so it, interesting that I mean they were thinking about continuity in those days you know I mean like you go to D Space 9 they have Admiral Ross right he's like the recurring admiral that they report to and all that stuff and and had TOS been in a different time and place maybe they would have brought back you know these these same commodores or admirals to to report to but uh all that being said I I just think it's interesting especially um, you know, we talk about production order versus broadcast order a lot. Um, at least I, I, I at least I do because it's it's one of those interesting quirks of Star Trek. And um, you know, if you watch these in production order, there's court martial, and then there's the menagerie, and you're like, wait, wait. So they leave Starbase Eleven and they come right back. There's a different guy in charge, and now he puts Spock on court martial. It's like, what is this? This has, has, has turned into Law and Order Starfleet. But obviously, uh, in the menagerie, Spock uh, hijacks the Enterprise and. Uh, Basically, basically mutinies. I know there's been a lot of discussion about uh, mutiny on a starship uh, after Star Trek Discovery coming out, and uh, you know people are like, oh, well, Michael Burnham did a mutiny, and 
And then, but in the Tholian web, Spock said there's been no record of a mutiny on a starship captain. He's like, well, Spock, what did you do in the menagerie? Like, you just took over the ship and left your captain to almost die in a shuttlecraft. But um, anyway, Spock gets put on court-martial uh, in this episode. You know, it's a great framing device. We talked about the menagerie before. It's it's, it's pretty pretty brilliant move by Roddenberry to like, okay, guys, I have this extra episode. Let's watch it. You know, so I, I do find I do find the, um, the whole setup of this, of this trial a little... Like unorthodox, like okay, guys, I know this is my trial, but can we all just sit here and watch this this screen? It'll explain my story. Like that just that does seem kind of uh kind of unorthodox, right? It was very unorthodox. It was it was a way to kind of shoehorn and take advantage of a pilot that was made a long time ago, and probably save them some money in the process. And they actually came up with a pretty good story. The um, the proceedings, though, I thought just like in court martial were pretty interesting you know, kind of nautical with the ship's bell versus a gavel. Um, I think the, um, the, the way it was doing, the way it was done with the senior officers made sense to me. And, uh, and, and that's, I think, you know, you have to, because the Commodore was not a JAG. He was just the, the, the commander of that area. And that, and that's fine too. But usually, you know, in those circumstances, you, you try to find someone who can, uh, who comes from the law side of things, but it was, a. Uh, it was it was a way I think a very clever way um, to uh, get to know these characters a little bit better, right? In in court martial, you kind of get their record of achievements, you get their full rank. In the menagerie, it kind of happens all over again, and you understand a little bit better. And I don't know, I I, I think the it it served a purpose. It wasn't a um, it wasn't a true um, I would say law and order show. To me, it wasn't this. You could have done this a number of different ways, and uh, and and I think that the um, the the way it took place with Spock on the on the hook for mutiny actually made a lot of sense to me. Well, to your point about the Jag, they had to have three ranking officers, and there was Kirk, there was the Commodore, and oh, it's Fleet Captain Pike. We didn't take away his uh, his rank, so that they get to still have their hearing or trial or whatever whatever terminology it is. I think Star Trek. And a lot of fiction, honestly, kind of throws around the terminology a lot. Well, this is a hearing. Right. This is a trial. Well, this is a court martial. I, I, you know, they don't really define what's what. But um, one of the w- really weird parts about this episode to me, and it is one of my favorites. I probably rank it in the top ten episodes of TOS, honestly. But Commodore Mendez, the whole time, he's uh, the whole time in the second half, he's he's a Telosian illusion. <laughs> it's like it's a. So it's, it's a, that's a pretty big uh, rug to pull out from under your feet. Like like and 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 they have the General Order Seven, which is um, you know the only death penalty left on the books is to go to Talos Four, which is pretty extreme, I think, uh, considering all the things you could possibly have the death penalty for going to this one planet. Um, but that's just added to the gravity of the situation. But they said you can't go to Talos Four, but clearly their powers reach very far beyond Talos Four. They can project a guy. On, in a starbase, onto a shuttlecraft, onto the ship, like, the whole time. And I understand they need, they need to do that to kind of wrap things up, I guess, but I don't, I don't think that particular... I don't think that particular turn necessarily worked, and nor was it necessary. He could have just had to change hard or something. I don't know. But, because uh, he was, like, the more hardcore, like, you know, Spock's... He's in big trouble here, Kirk, and Kirk's, like, conflicted because he's his friend and his first officer, and obviously Pike can't say anything but yes or no. So, I, I don't know. The Mendez character is interesting, uh, especially when they just made him in an illusion so yeah i thought it was kind of a um a cheat at the end a little bit with that but you know i, I guess the other piece of it is you know if you're not convicted of mutiny then there was no mutiny 
There you go. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, 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 you know, as you said about, about Star Trek and being the first mutineer and all that other stuff. Well, maybe by the end she's exonerated and who knows, you know, so it's, it's just, it is, it is fascinating the, the way these things go. So yeah, there, there might've been a few um, people who did things that were a little suspect, but when they got through the trial, just like Spock, yep, not guilty, move on. And it's, you know what, and you know, we haven't mentioned this yet in these two discussions, but I really like the dress uniforms on TOS. Do you? Yeah. Do, do yeah. you not? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like them. I, um, I, in Star Trek six, when they were wearing more, you know, they were in their, I guess the, the monster maroons were a dress uniform. I don't know if you made them more fancy, but you had these guys walking around with all the uh, awards. Uh, you know, the, yeah, more of the admirals. The, uh, the, the pat- yeah, yeah. I mean, they were wearing their ribbons, so you could you could see, you know, just how successful or, or what they were doing. And and you know, Kirk and his team, uh, they only wore their ribbons or their awards when they were in their dress uniform, which is appropriate, by the way. That's what- if those were a little bit more symmetrical, I guess. I mean, I, I, the the patterns just it didn't make any sense. And then there was just like this one one medal that Kirk was wearing. It it was just odd. So I like the um, the uniforms. Kind of reminded me of navy uniforms, only with color. You know, they had the tight collars and they had all that stuff, and that those looked fine. But I would have preferred to have a um, a ribbon bar or something that, just like everything else in Star Trek, everything makes sense. There's a reason for it. And I thought in those, you know, it kind of looked like a messed up jigsaw puzzle on their chest, and it was. It, you know, it would have been nice if they added some uniformity. Um, now, back then, they didn't know Star Trek was going to be anything. Um, <laughs> so it literally was. Let's just put these things on their on their on their uniforms, and we'll move on. And then as time moved on, that that kind of changed because they realized the fans are fanatics, which is redundant, and really want to have that kind of um, detail. I like the uniform. I just wish they, you know, they had a, a more symmetrical look to it. It's just didn't look organized to me. It didn't make sense. You know, it's just looking at it. It's like, it's a, it's a jumble. So that's just me. No, I, I get that. I mean, as someone who has really no familiarity with those kind of, uh, you know, awards or ranks on a military uniform to me, it's like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. But of course, if you have more, you know, actual knowledge of that stuff, you start to say, that's just, that's just gibberish. <laughs> that's just, that just means nothing. <laughs> so I, I, I get it. But I do like them more than pretty much all the dress uniforms to come after them, except when we get to uh, Insurrection. Yeah. Uh, I, I do like the white dress uniforms. It's clearly a completely different uniform. Uh, and that's usually the way it is. You know, at uh, Star Trek, it's, uh, up till then, it had been like, here's a slightly different looking uniform, but it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, it's literally a dress, you know, in early TNG, and they and it gets shorter and shorter as, as the seasons progress. But anyway, I thought it'd be... Can't, can't talk about these episodes without mentioning the dress uniforms. I think that's important. And uh, they, they, like I said, they did, a, they did a pretty decent job. And I know they were trying to make it so that it's modern and, you know, maybe it's maybe it makes sense in those times. But I do agree with you. I, th- I still think the best came from, from the insurrection on up when they, when they had them in the next two movies. I thought those were really cool. All right, we're moving on to Space Seed. At the end of Space Seed, uh, they had, the hearing is convened. Uh, for Khan and his men and, and Marlon MacGyver's and uh, Kirk gives her the option of like facing a court martial or going to City Alpha 5 with Khan and she chooses to go with him I don't know I mean she, she at that point I guess she, she was kind of all in with Khan at that point I mean yeah she had gone back and forth and that is one of the weaker parts of, of that episode honestly but uh, I mean what, what, what would you have done in her situation would you have would you have gone off with this guy you pretty much threw away your career for 
Um, or would you have faced the music here on your ship and, and who knows what kind of... I mean, she did save them at the end, so I guess that would made her uh, sentence lighter, but definitely she would have been... She's facing some serious jail time for what she did in, in Space Seed, wouldn't you say? Well, that was mutiny. That That is the definition of mutiny, uh, 100%. I don't know if she was convicted or not. She did it, um, and she was sentenced to to go to this planet because of it. So I guess technically she was guilty of it, um, and so she had a sentence. You know, she had one or two ways. She could face a general court martial, which would have been jail, or go off to the planet with Khan. So, yeah, um, I, I think that she made the right choice. Her career was done. No matter what, I mean, she she would be going to to prison. Uh, she did do everything wrong. If you are studying something your whole life, right, and um, and you had the opportunity to, to meet somebody that you always idolized, uh, good or bad, you know, it's it's one of those that probably could have an impact on you that you you wouldn't you wouldn't expect, and and sometimes it's tough for you to control your emotions because I think Khan said it best: how very little man has changed, which goes against everything Star Trek is promoting right? because supposedly we've changed a lot. Um, but he, he calls it out. He's like, yeah, you really haven't changed that much, you know, because, you know, natural evolution as time goes on, you know, we, we evolve uh, to, a, to a certain aspect. And, um, but yet we can still have our emotions manipulated and, um, you know, and he can be a presence. Uh, you know, I mean, essentially you're looking at somebody that has incredible abilities you know, would would somebody find that person flawlessly attractive? I, I look at it um, kind of like you know, when I was growing up and in high school, there were we all had you know our favorite bands and rock stars or whatever, and and I would see some of the some of the girls react to some of those things and wonder you know would would they be would they be taken in by this celebrity you know and and pulled in emotionally, and it's like yeah that that's kind of how I equated it too. It was kind of like you, you know. Uh, watch those old those uh, those old videos of, of the girls just losing control. Kind of was like, mm. yeah, you know, that's that's kind of where Marlon MacGyver went on that one. That's a good uh, that's a good take there, Ken. I like that. That that, uh, that kind of that, that's a nice justification of, of the events of that episode. I like it. Uh, and and to your point there, I, I love that uh, scene between Kirk and Khan when he comes and visits him and asks him some questions. And, and Khan's like, "We will do very well in your century." He's like, does that answer all your questions? And Kirk's like, yeah, yeah, that, that answers all my questions. <laughs> you're, I'm locking you up forever now. You're, um, but anyway, yeah, you're one bad dude. Yeah, yeah. That's um, of course she didn't know. Nobody knew that City Alpha Five was City Alpha Six was going to explode. City Alpha Five is going to go the way it was. But you know, Marla MacGyver, she was very dissatisfied in her, you know, life on the Enterprise anyway. And, uh, you know, Kirk didn't even know her name. He's like, oh, that, but that's a story, and what's her name? Yeah, get her down there in the transporter room. And uh, you, and you see a lot of random odd jobs. And maybe, you know, this is, we should have an episode about this sometime. Take notes, guys. Note to self. All the random odd jobs on the original series especially. Like, who's the ship's uh, meteorologist? Or the ship's historian? Right? <laughs> I mean, uh, and that's, that's just a very odd job to have. It's like, what is her... What is her purpose, like, on, on the ship? Like, I don't really understand, like, because is that not what the computers are for? Like, to, to have the history banks? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, maybe archaeologist maybe would be a better description or a job title for her? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because if, um, if we follow Enterprise, right, we work our way backwards, did they, did they come across a lot of things that um, 
that went on in human history that were relevant to whatever they were facing. And sometimes, obviously, you know, I, I look at I look at circumstances, and, and you're right, I think computers could probably answer most of those questions. But if you're on an exploration vessel, and your knowledge, and, unless her history went well beyond Earth, and that's not really that we get the impression that it does. It seems that she is she is caught up in Earth's history, not so much the Federations and the other world's history, but she could have been. Then I could see that that would make it a little bit more plausible, you know, uh, as as far as, uh, you know, being there and saying, hey, in this circumstance, the, this culture dealt with it this way and this was handled that way. That That could be interesting, especially if you know, uh, like the Vulcans, we know the Romulans shot off and they're, 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 they're part of the Vulcan race and, and all that other stuff. If there's a lot of that across the Federation where um, planetary populations were divided and they went a different way because of these reasons, then maybe having an historian on board that understands that stuff would be, you know, of value. It was a tough one. I mean, they obviously shoot order in there, but I did feel bad for her because, <clears throat> you know, she's that, that one officer. And, you know, on a ship, um, a real ship, not a Star Trek ship, there's only <laughs> so many officers. Most of your crew, by far, two-thirds, are, are enlisted, not officers. And so the wardroom's usually pretty tight. You know everybody, um, even even on those bigger ships. You know, Most people are, are kind of known, and department heads are known well. So she really was ostracized, you know, especially when he's calling her McGivers, MacGyver. <laughs> <laughs> You know, obviously she was a unique individual that kind of had a tough time fitting in. She And, and you do find that sometimes in cultures uh, where, you know, uh, you're an operator, you're cool, you're an administrator, uh, not quite so cool, but just as valuable. And then you've got these one-offs and it's like, yeah, what does that guy do? You know, <laughs> what's his value or her value? They set it up so that it would be easier for her to turn because she felt needed. Speaking of Khan himself, like what, what do you think the appropriate punishment was for him do you think you know talking we're talking about law and order and crime and punishment here for for his mutiny on the enterprise and then you know for his crimes in the 1990s you know basically war crimes for, do you think it's an appropriate punishment for his country. just um, great, great exile great. so in this one do i think it was the appropriate um, punishment for khan i do i do because of a couple of things one he was genetically manipulated right he is what he is because a bunch of scientists made him the way he is uh, once, once that's done, you realize that, you know, in, as, as Spock said, you know, improved, um, capabilities, um, superior ability breeds superior ambition, superior ambition. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, and, and, and all of them were, were that way. And in a sense, what could you do with Khan? You know, could you put him in a prison that could hold him long-term? Who's to say, uh, could you put him back to sleep? And what's the point? <laughs> putting them back to sleep, Star Trek which they <clears throat> well that's exactly right i mean what, what are you going to do you're going to open it again when you need a can of whoop ass uh, i mean what, what, the, what what's what's the point anyway i digress it's the perfect punishment for them because they're on a planet that they can't get off of they don't have space travel ability uh other than this one in a bazillion shot that a a a planet would just arbitrarily explode 
shift the orbit of another planet. And no one seemed to notice with all that technology. I mean, I figured there might be a telescope or two out there. Um, you know, it was just like the perfect scenario. And they made it the perfect scenario for him to get off. So for me, I think it made a lot of sense. These guys are doing what they are bred to do, and that is conquer a planet. It had no indigenous species on board of people that they were conquering. They were simply going to create a, a planet of their own. I thought it made a lot of sense to me. All right, so this is our last original series episode discussion. Uh, Turnabout Intruder. Spock gets put on trial by Kirk slash Janice Lester uh, for, uh, I guess, mutiny again? This is, Spock is quite a mutineer, right? <laughs> He's turning yes, against his captain. Yes, he is, he is. But for, yeah, for not being a mutineer. But for, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Something that sticks out to me about this episode is, you know, um, well, there's a lot of things, but let's just let's stick on our, our topic of discussion here. Uh, General Order 4 is now the death penalty on Star Trek, one of our great continuity uh, disparities, which I, I think this is another one we <laughs> forgot to mention when we were going down the list of all the, the two There's continuity a lot ones. of incontinuities <laughs> in this one, man. I mean, this is just one you just wish that uh, they lost the tape. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I do find that there was one thing in, in, in this in this trial in, in Spock's defense, you know, Spock's trying to prove that uh, Janice Lester is Kirk, and obviously he can do a mind meld. He has a, an advantage that no one else does, so he can obviously see that. Um, through all the tools of medical science at McCoy's disposal, Kirk is Kirk. You know, there's nothing to truly prove that Kirk, you know, body switched and all this craziness. But the, the, the one thing that actually, people talk about what an awful, awful series finale this is. And I will say there's, there, there's just one moment in here that makes it seem like, you know what, maybe they were trying to tie things together here somehow. Spock's telling everyone, he's like, look, we've all been through some crazy stuff together. We've seen some incredible things over our journeys here. Is it really that unbelievable that this could have happened? You know, and they're like, oh, maybe, you know. Um, and then, and then you know, we got Scotty and McCoy out in the hallway talking about mutiny. Uh, but, but, you know, guess what? Kirk's got the flight recorder visual going on in the hallway, too. So he, he wants to, Kirk, you know, Lester, you know, just kill everybody, you know. And um, had, had, had she, he, Kirk, whatever, it gets complicated talking about pronouns and <laughs> proper names in, in this episode. But had she not gone so crazy, right? Like, let's kill Spock and let's kill McCoy and let's kill Scotty. Like, maybe she could have gotten away with it. So that's that's really over overstating the uh, the crime there, in my opinion. Yeah, it was. It was, and they they just took it just two levels too far because everybody talks about the comment about you know, women can't be captains and all that other stuff and yada yada and. Everybody's trying to dispel it or this or that. We know that's not really true, but it was because it was said, yuck, right? It created just a lot of messy things in Star Trek. And um, I think Shatner's acting in this was actually pretty damn good, how he pulled it off. It's just, I don't know, by, by making her emotionally unstable, you don't know if that's just because she's crazy or they're just blaming it on the fact that she's female and in a male body. You know what I mean? It just, to me, it was like, it just, it just got messy quick. And, you know, the paranoia piece of it, you know, you, you kind of saw that um, uh, when when Kirk was split in two, you know, and, and you kind of got that that same kind of, of of crazy behavior. So I don't know, for me, like I said, it, it was it was a tough way to 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 exit the series. I suppose if they could have come back with one or two more episodes afterwards. It made it might have made more sense, or they could have diluted it somehow, or they could have made it a hell of a lot worse. Who knows? But it was, 
you know, it wasn't as bad as, right, it wasn't as bad as people say it was. It's just one of those things where saying it created a lot of controversy. Again, no one expected Star Trek to, to become what it became after it went off the air. Uh, so, you know, it could have just been another silly, silly sci-fi episode that, that didn't go as well as they planned. You know, like Spock's brain. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, it's harmless if it's like hidden around other episodes, like you said. Yeah. You know, if, if but it, since it's the last one, it leaves that last uh, taste in your mouth. But uh, you know, they didn't break out their dress uniforms for this. Very disappointing. I mean, they, they, and you know, we didn't see Kirk's wraparound green tunic in season three, but we did see the dress uniforms not too long ago in Savage Curtain. So they were around. But again, at this point, they were like, "Look, show's canceled." get this over with you know like just these are the ones that are on the rack where are the normal costumes this week guys uh even though we're, we're in a courtroom setting and theoretically you know following the rules they should have been wearing their dress uniforms i guess uh you know i hate to say it but uh but billy was getting a little bigger <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know and we've all gone through the well if you've been around a while we've all gone through those cycles where you put on a little you take off a little whatnot but uh at any rate, it was. It might have been a little tricky at that point. Who knows? <laughs> no time for alterations. Like yeah, game, maybe, right? maybe. Unfortunately, but and then to my knowledge, this and Menagerie is the only time they talk about you know these general orders, like you know death penalty and stuff in Star Trek. Take it's kind of a heavy topic, so we'll, we'll, we'll sidestep that. But question to you: Do you think the death penalty will still exist in a Star Trek future? Like in this in this humanitarian utilitarian. Utopia, utilitarian, I think I used that wrong, but Utopia of Gene Roddenberry's vision, do you think there even would be a death penalty on the books in any, regardless if it's Talos 4 or whatever they were using it for in this episode, do you think that would still be on the books at all? Tough question. It really is. Because, you know, we, we tend to look through things through a Western lens, right? And and things are changing. Um, you say for the better and, and other and other societies that um, on this same planet that we share, they, they couldn't imagine it not being part of part of the future so i try to really have a wide aperture when i get questions like that because you're going to be dealing with hundreds of different worlds and different approaches to things and then you personalize it what if your victim what if your family was a victim of something heinous what you know and and it's it's so easy to separate ourselves and say this is wrong or this is right but things change when it becomes you or it becomes massive, right? I mean, what if, what if, what if somebody planned the whole massacre of, you know, let's take, uh, what, what if they captured, um, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. What if, what if they captured the Romulan from Star Trek 09? Nero. Nero. What if they captured Nero? He killed billions oh. of people. But he didn't go to Talos 4, so he doesn't get executed yeah. but, you, but you see what i'm saying no yeah for sure like where, where do they draw what, the line what, you yeah. know where do you draw the line i mean there's ten thousand survivors out of billions that were were slaughtered and slaughtered with intent to kill i mean that was his mission and he was trying to destroy earth you know do you just put them in in prison um i i think there's there's there's, there's a lot of western thoughts and what i mean you know europe australian american you know there's 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 a lot of mindsets here when you're talking about what the earth would look like when it comes together and you achieve that utopia um uh and and somebody commits a crime that's that's you know so horrific what is the proper penalty it's it's really really hard for me to say that uh, in the federation with hundreds of different planets and hundreds of different cultures 
that we've gone beyond certain things because I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, for us to say. Because if you, you know, it's interesting. I was watching the Orville fairly recently, right? Interesting show. And they talked about the more that society advances, the less religion becomes part of that society, right? Interesting comment to make. So if there is no afterlife in in the view of many, and there isn't in the view of many today too, and the death penalty then means that's it, there's nothing more, um, that's quite a deterrent uh, for people to, to commit crimes, uh, if you think about it that way, right? Because there's no forgiveness and, and it's done. So it, it gets deep into the philosophical on this. So if Star Trek is continues to be written on a set of Western values that are evolving, then probably not. Um, but in a society in the future, um, where there are many, many cultures and many people, many countries um, that see that very, very differently, um, you know, where even the smallest of crimes, you know, you steal something, you lose an arm. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that happens today on this planet all the time. And I have to tell you, in those cultures, the crime rate is extraordinarily low. It, it, it is because the punishment is so harsh. So nobody wants to go down that lane. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one. Thanks for opening that door. I appreciate it. Um. <laughs> Let us know in the comments. Uh, I'll just say this for myself. I even, you know, in my short time on this earth can, I, I have gone back and forth a little bit myself. Like when I was younger and I was the editor of my high school newspaper, I wrote this big editorial about like, it was when Scott Peterson happened. Oh yeah. You know, and I, and I don't know. It was just like, I don't know what, you were in high school when Scott Peterson. Oh, yeah, gosh. like I said, man, I've been here that long. But um, yeah. <laughs> but I wrote a big editorial about like, yes, the death penalty, and you know, as I get older and like, you live life more and you see more perspectives and you see other points of view, you're like, ah, eh, I don't know, like, do we, you know, anyway. So it, it's just, you know, as as with anything, the more life experience you accumulate, the more it influences your opinions and you know stances on things, and yeah, and and and, you, and then you blow that up to a macro level of like a society itself you know and you and you wonder like how things are going to settle so anyway um who knows it, it, it becomes yeah it's tough because you know even economics come involved right you know do, do you if um if the las vegas shooter was captured you know and he's put into jail forever do you want to pay to feed him do you want, you know what i mean it just it, it it is you know as your mind evolves like i said but i think it becomes very very personal when it when it's you or your family that's the victim in Nobody, unless they've been through something so horrible, um, really has a lot to weigh in on that. Um, I think it's it's really, really, it's really difficult. So, uh, you know, so my answer is I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. That's probably the best answer. Yeah. And I can't tell you which way is wrong or right either. It's not that simple to me. So moving on to the movies now. Uh, Star Trek Four. you know, obviously this is following up Star Trek Three. Kirk had broken all these rules. And they're, you know, when they were conceiving the concept of Star Trek Four, that they actually there was one script, I believe it was called like the Trial of James T. Kirk, and they were going to bring in all these guys, going to bring in like Harry Mudd and all these guys they had had encounters with in the past. It was going to be like kind of like the series finale of Seinfeld, uh -huh. <laughs> and all these guys are coming. Oh, I remember that guy. Oh, that guy. Yeah, right. you know. Uh, I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, I'm glad me they too. didn't do that. Um, so instead, you just you know you get uh, Kirk and. Uh, the crew standing accused for all the, the Starfleet violations. I love how the Klingon ambassador is like, Starfleet violations this is outrageous. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, they, they broke a lot of, a lot of laws. They stole property. They destroyed property. Um, 
whatnot. But because they saved the Earth at the end, they got off scot-free. Kirk got a demotion uh, from Admiral to Captain and then got to do what he wanted to do all along, was just get back to captaining a ship. You know, in this one, I mean, we all all know the story of the movies and whatnot. It's not not much... uh, point in hashing all that stuff over again but do you do, how do you feel like their quote-unquote punishment fit their crime here ken as far as kirk and crew because it seems to me kirk's really the only one that uh faced anything and scotty did a lot scotty sabotaged the excelsior you know and and uhura got that guy in the closet and sulu beat up that security guards but anyway <laughs> you break it everybody did something you know oh yeah there was a lot that went on but well, there's two things I really liked about that scene. One, they all stood together, but Kirk took full accountability, right? And um, and I thought that was the um, the way to do it because he was the architect of all of it. Uh, you know what what Ahura did, what what Sulo did, what they all did. They all they all they all did as a team. But he was the senior guy, and I think that was the right thing to do and very noble. And, and he took it on. And, of course, they had one huge mitigating circumstance. And you had more than just one mitigating circumstance. I mean, the, the Klingons did destroy the Red Shirt Starship, um, the Grissom. And and they may have obtained uh, the data or, you know, who knows what they could have done, um, you know, with um, with Savick and with Kirk's son, had, you know, had they not been there. Because, you know, the Enterprise actually kind of forced the hostage situation. So it's it's hard to say um, from a Klingon point of view what what they would have gotten away with had they not done it. And then you've got, of course, the whole the whole whales, and and actually going back and, and saving the planet, which was pretty extraordinary and is quite a large mitigation, plus all the other times that they have done it. So I think you have to weigh the whole the whole mosaic here. And so do I think the crime? Do I think it was appropriate? It was. I think that uh, uh, it it obviously set us up for two. New movies, uh, three, I guess, in a sense. I wish they had put, uh, when when Kirk retired, that they had meritoriously promoted him back to Admiral, which is usually after a um, somebody who has done a lot of heroic things, and it happened a lot after World War II, that when these captains who were involved in huge programs or, or battles and things like that were meritoriously promoted to Admiral for retirement so that they could get a little bit more pay and have a little more prestige. Well, pl- Playmates toy makers agree with you, Ken, because on the package for the Star Trek Generations Kirk toy, yeah, it should have been Admiral James T. Really Kirk on it. So, yeah, good yeah, for you, Playmates. Because, uh, it, but at any rate, yeah, it was it was appropriate. But I thought it was really, really well done. It, it, you know, they 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 went fast through it. There was no trial. It was, it was he, he was they they just came forth and saying, yeah, admitting our guilt. Uh, the president of the Federation himself, or the president of the Federation Council, if there's a difference, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, weighed in on it and said, this is the way it's going to be. So he essentially pardoned the entire crew. He pardoned all of them and then rewarded Kirk for all that he had done by putting him in, in the job that he was best suited. So I thought it was it was very appropriate. Truly a case of the ends justify the means, huh? In this case, it is, yeah. Because they're so big, you know? We, we look at it as a movie, as we should, but think of the circumstance. It's huge. Huge. I mean, you don't you don't have... You don't have, you know, you know. We talk about um, disasters taking places in, in in small areas here, but we're talking global scale here, so it's a big difference. All right, so our last original series movie we'll be discussing is the Undiscovered Country. This is not this is not a court martial per se from Starfleet's point of view, but the Klingons put Kirk and McCoy on trial, which is basically like a, a kangaroo court. 
here, right? This was probably the best trial scene in all of the Star Trek so far, I thought. It was really, really well done. Uh, it, it did two things. One, you know, you, you have the Klingons menacing, you have the prosecutions, you have the the defense, you have the trickery where you're starting off in, in the Klingon language and then you, you, you zoom in and you zoom out and they're speaking English so the audience can follow. Hint, hint, discovery might want to... Yeah, Take notes, discovery. Uh, yes. <laughs> it, was, it was really, really well done. Uh, and, and I thought that... Um, the acting in it was absolutely phenomenal. And you could see it, you know, and it was broadcast everywhere. Uh, you're talking about the death of the Chancellor of the Klingon Empire. And, you know, I, it, we understand later it turns, out, it turns out to be a conspiracy. But it was, I thought, phenomenally well done. And then the, um, that last piece where they're not sentenced to death, they're just going Aurora Penthe. You know, it. I thought, yeah, it was it was extraordinary. I love the um, the the effects. I love the the courtroom itself. I, I man, um, yeah. I, I thought it was it was the best trial scene in all of Star Trek. Still is in terms of drama. No, I I like that even the Klingons gave them counsel. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it was Colonel Worf, which is a cool, you know, continuity tie. See, that's generations. That's how you tie this stuff together, man. But anyway, uh, making Michael Dorn play Colonel Worf, uh, Worf's grandfather is like their lawyer. They're a very small role, but a cool little uh, oh, nice. piece of connection yeah. nonetheless. And, you know, and he's like, do not answer. You know, he's giving them actual real counsel because they know that Shang is like slowly setting them up to, to kind of trap themselves to admitting guilt. So it's, it's just very, very cleverly done. And, of course, the whole... Don't wait for the translation. Answer me now. I right? love it's, that uh, line. Yes. Cuban Missile Crisis uh, yeah. callback right there. Nick Meyer at work right there, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, Nick Meyer knows his history. But yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Chang was brilliant. The whole thing was so well done. And uh, even the way that Kirk and McCoy were answering the questions, you know, I thought that it, it, it was, it was low-key, it was subdued, but it wasn't arrogant. And then, you know, Kirk got trapped in, in, in what a lot of commanding officers do. They are accountable and responsibly, responsible for the, for the conduct of their crew. They are. And, uh, you know, at this point, obviously, there were some crew members that were responsible for this. So if you think of it, the whole thing, Kirk has accountability as well. Now, I give the Klingon justice some credit for giving them a lawyer. But at the same time, I got to take that credit back away for... Uh, allowing them to use his personal log against him. You know, I mean, like, I, I don't think in the Federation court that would have been submitted due to, like, how did you get this? And do we have authority to use this? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in a case of a court martial, like, okay, we have access to all your stuff now. Um, you know, oh, you said this in your personal log. It was, you know, a log, so therefore it was of record. Therefore we can use it against you. But that that was that was kind of, that was shady on the Klingons' part. That was a little <laughs> You really think so? I thought it was... Uh... I thought it was, but that's, I, I thought that was the, that was the instance we realized there's bad people on the Enterprise, right? Because that wasn't given to the Klingons. And, and when Kirk beams aboard the ship, he's like, my personal log. So he knew the only person that, that even overheard him or recording it at the time was um, Valaris. And so that was the first hint that, the, oh my, this was, you know, it, it's, it's funny too. I was trying to think there was a, um, there was it was a pretty interesting book and a movie that did that same thing. Even though it was inadmissible, it was played, and as soon as it was played, it was like that's it, it's done. Bonfire of the Vanities, that's what it was. Great book, so so movie, Tom Hanks, but um, you know he's kind of framed for something, and 
he actually, you know, you can't, you couldn't put this personal tape on. He played it anyway in the courtroom, just arbitrarily, and it skewed everything. So, strike that from the record, please, Your Honor. Yeah, it's like yeah, like, like Too late I now. love that when they do that in courtrooms. It's like, oh, well, let okay, the jury will disregard that evidence as if that's not gonna like set in your head and, and influence your opinion. Oh yeah, it's all that. part of the game. It's all part of the yeah. game. So yeah, I, I I really really enjoyed the Undiscovered Country, and I think that the. Um, you know, obviously there was an, a, another assassination attempt when they were on Royal Penthe, but I, I really thought that uh, it was beautifully done and that there was some accountability there. There's no doubt about it. Even if if bad things are happening on your ship, you're the captain, you're accountable. And Kirk had a, you know, at this point in his career, he had a record as a rule breaker. Like how Chang brings that up. is like you once held the rank of Admiral, like what we were just talking about, you know, it just shows there's, you know, he's gone off book for a while. So his his history again traps him into his, his situation so yeah just 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 a great moment in an overall great movie oh, i think so yeah it was it was perfect all right well kid we certainly touched on a lot of topics today didn't we we did we're back we're back standard <laughs> orbit tangents are back so I, it was, uh, it was, it's good to be back man uh talking to star trek you know it's it's always fun you know it, it don't get me wrong podcasting is hard work right don't be don't be fooled but it is fun <laughs> so uh it's it's nice uh a nice break from uh from life to kind of disengage and uh, uh, from that and reengage into the Star Trek universe that I know and love, and it's always fun talking to you about all this stuff. And, and, and like I said, I never know where these where these discussions are going to go, so it'll be fun to listen back through this one. We, we went on quite a few. Uh, we we made up for lost time with those standard orbit tangents, Kim. So we did indeed. Great working with you again. I love these discussions, and um, yeah, I think that uh, hey, prepping two zero zero coming up not too long from now, man. So that'll be fun. Yeah, that's right. We're going to have something really awesome in store for you guys. We don't know what it is yet, <laughs> but it's going to be great. So. Just trust us. Uh, well, court marshals are not the only thing we're discussing this week on Trek FM. Here's what else is playing elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM. To the journey! And then, you know, they're all up on the bridge and everyone's like, oh, what's Bellana doing with her day off? And Tom's like, oh, she's binge watching Bill Nye. <laughs> she's been there, you know, in her PJs since eight o'clock this morning. <laughs> I can picture she's been watching Bill Nye all day. Tom comes home and she says to Tom, "You know, Tom, have you ever thought about wearing a bow tie?" <laughs> but if he's on the bridge and says all that, would Captain Janeway know who Bill Nye the Science Guy is? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's Janeway. The Six O Two Club. So I graduated from high school in 1984. So this film came out in my, what, sophomore year in high school? So that was like prime formative years for me. Um, this is, you know, this and Mad Max were the R-rated movies that me and all of my friends wanted to go see. Earl Grey. Now, Aquiel is a Jordy episode, and I say that and I laugh because poor Jordy, he just does not know how to find women and um <laughs> that's putting it lightly but yeah guy meta treks yeah but what what fun would that be that's a, then we wouldn't have red shirts what fun is that zachary what fun is that Counselor troy that is a smashing looking 70 nanometer wavelength dress <laughs> <laughs> and that's what else is happening on trek.fm so check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. 
You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and of course in the Babel Conference. Type Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron on the network on Patreon. If you visit Patreon slash TrekFM, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash TrekFM, you'll find the current goals and different milestone contributions along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details on patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our great associate producers for Standard Orbit. Norman Lau, Tim Robertson, Nick Anastasio, Richard Marquez, and Corey Elrod. Yes, thank you guys so much for your support for both Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Uh, so Ken, if people want to find you out there on the internet, where can they find you? Hey, you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference and engaging people when I when I have the opportunity. You can also find me on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is at BostonSCPO. And we uh, we like to tweet out all our new episode information as soon as we get it, as, lo- as well as our colleagues. So look for me there. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman series from the early 2000s. And you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>